second year of serving Southeast Ohio. AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N's. Ah, brilliant sunshine booming through our windows this morning. And, uh, and yet it's 32 degrees outside our studios. Headed up to 54 today. Tomorrow, 67. Saturday, OU game, 73. Sunday, 74. And then it starts to fade back down again. It is that time of year. It's autumn, folks. It's our monthly visit today with the mayor of Athens, Steve Patterson. folks welcome and uh hope you have a great day but uh steve patterson good morning good morning good morning dave welcome. how are you and the sun is beaming through your window which is really nice it is yeah. and um you're beaming today dave I- i'm beaming yeah look at you you have this kind of aura around you right now or, <laughs> wait a minute. that's the, that's the sun i i hope so <laughs> i i've had too many auras lately but uh anyway uh good morning welcome Listen, um, a topic um, that I'm hearing a good bit about, and people are scratching their heads, and it deals with parking. Parking? Yeah. Huh. And what? You hadn't heard this? Oh, no. No, oh. parking? Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, there's been this um, effort on, um, let's see, what is it? What street is that by the churches and all? College Street. College Street, thank you. Uh, and they've done like diagonal parking on one side. Right. And, um, you know, vehicles are different lengths. And, and, you know, mine fits in real nice. My little Mini, Your mini Cooper? Yeah. But uh, if you got a pickup with any size, you know, it's a little different. Um, and, and then getting in and out and all that sort of thing. I've just heard some people scratching their heads. And um, so are you getting any feedback on that? Oh, a little bit here and there. (laughs) Yes, Dave, I'm getting feedback. Uh, Feedback to the point where we have made some changes along there. Um, What you're referring to is the back-end angle parking, which is nothing new um, across the nation. Wait wait a minute. You mean I'm supposed to back in? You are supposed to back in, Dave. And by the way, you could probably fit two more coopers I'm, in But if I'm space. coming from the other side. No, well, see, that's the whole thing, is there's a solid yellow line. Let's go back to driving 101, when we all learned how to drive, that a solid yellow line or a double solid yellow line means you can't cross over it. Um, and so we have a, you know, on College Street along that section, we have painted it to where there's a solid yellow in the middle. We have... Uh, put in the diagonal parking on the east side. So if people are, who are parking there, you have to be heading northbound on college. Okay. Um, and So I've already done it wrong. Did you head in, Dave? Well, yeah. Oh, Dave. Well, okay. w- when we're done with the show, let's go out in the driveway. You've got <laughs> diagonal parking, and I'll teach you how to back into a diagonal spot. 
it's uh, it, but, it, but if you're headed um, like toward the campus, okay, then you go into the parking garage, or you park parallel park on College between Washington Street and Union Street. Okay, yep. So well, so let me, let's go back a little bit because you know, so people have the the full whoever's listening, uh, the listening audience today that there's the history behind this is that. Um, initially, we have been leasing a parking lot from the church right there yes. at, on College Street mm-hmm. for years, and the we lease it. And the, but the lease rates became you know started to become um, they went up every year. They were higher and higher, and we were paying um, close to fifty thousand dollars a year to lease spaces. Um, we in turn could turn around and lease unused spaces, but that just became you know expensive from a a personnel standpoint, you know to to manage them and so on and so forth. So anyway, at the end of the day, we decided you know we do need places for the police cruisers because part of that leased space was for our uh, police cruisers mm-hmm. and. Sully Alabaja, who's my director for engineering and public works, is well versed on reverse angle parking, which, like I'd mentioned, is something that is being is recognized by um, uh, not only Department of Transportation but also you know the safety advisory arm of transit um, to where everyone understands head-in diagonal parking. The issue with head-in diagonal parking is when you go to pull out, you've got to kind of creep to back out into traffic that is moving. And uh, with reversing the angle of that diagonal parking pattern, the interesting thing is, is that you back in much like when you're diagonal or when you're parallel parking now, you pull ahead, back into the space, and then when you're ready to leave, it's safer because you're basically just looking over your left shoulder and watching when you can merge into traffic if traffic is flowing, um, as opposed to the, the again, the traditional head-in diagonal parking. So anyway, so we were going to have the police cruisers park along those parking spaces, use seven or eight of those back-end diagonal parking spaces, and then... Um, we were able to work out a different arrangement with the the church that owns the parking lot. So we've gone back to leasing, uh, but only leasing a certain number of parking mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we, but we still moved forward with the thirteen back end diagonal parking spaces. We did notice that there was. Some large trucks that were pulling in there, you know, things like F-350s or, or other large trucks um, that were sticking out. And so we've, again, changed it to where it is car parking only along there um, and uh, and still seeing, you know, a car or two um, at any given point when I'm driving by. Most people are backing into them, but a lot of people, not a lot, of, some people are still crossing over that yellow line, the solo yellow, to pull in, which makes, creates, a, a, you know, for that person, a real 
dangerous, you know, challenging because now you've got to back out and you're backing out into opposing traffic. Um, so it's it's an educational thing, Dave. It's kind of like the roundabout. Remember the first roundabout on Richland Avenue? Of course. There was an often, you know, I was not in politics at all, and I remember once upon a time thinking, you know what, I'm going to take a lawn chair or sit in the middle of this thing and just watch the, the show. A because A video, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, Scott? And it, because nobody understood it. Um, people were going the wrong way. People were going in all at the same time. Nobody wanted to go in. It became like that uh, one of, some some insurance company, you know, no, you go, no, you go. And everyone's just sitting there at a four-way intersection. And it was, again, this was a roundabout. So it just, uh, but we, over time we learned. And then we grew more roundabouts and everyone understands those. And I, I certainly understand people who do not like the West Union kind of mini roundabout. Um, but the roundabout on Stimson Avenue, wait the, a minute. West Union. you know, the little one that's down there kind of near Ciro and, and oh, oh, okay. It's on Smith street. Yes. I do know that. Right. 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 Where the old railroad station. That's right. That's correct. Correct. Um, and that's a whole other topic for another day, talking about the railroad station, Dave. And maybe we should take that up for a future show. Well, don't want to do it right now because it's sunny outside and I'm in a good mood. So, uh. Anyway, um, so that's kind of where things are at with with the reverse angle uh, diagonal parking. Okay, but the the goal was, or is, I guess, I'm just guessing, that it created a greater number of parking spaces. Is that correct? It it did on that that side. Yes. Of the street. We we did remove parking, though, Dave, on the west side of So what's the net, net outcome? I think it was a net loss of four parking spaces okay. total. Okay. Right. Well, um, may I say it's still an experiment? You can say that. Okay. I, I, We're studying I it. I certainly need to learn it. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. So then I've also heard some con- conversation. Okay, so uh, well, let's talk about this general topic. Neighborhood associations. Oh, sure. Okay, so I live on the Far East Neighborhood Association. And I guess there's a Near East Neighborhood Association. And, and for all I know, there's one for each different chunk of town. Am I correct? In theory. Okay. <laughs> yes, you are correct in theory. Now, I know the, uh, fiend, there, even the one be I one. belong to is active. Yeah. You, oh, it is. FINA is the most active, and I would say a in second place. Second. Yeah. Well, I mean, so look. So we have the Far East Neighborhood Association. Uh, we used to have... Anna, um, the Northside Neighborhood Association. We used to have the Near East Neighborhood Association. We had the West Side Neighborhood Association. Once upon a time, we had the South Side Neighborhood Association. There has not been a South Side Neighborhood Association in a decade or longer. Okay. Um, it's, well, it, it, so it doesn't exist. FINA is extremely active, which is wonderful. 
the others are kind of in various states, if you will. Um, the other one that was very active when I was um, a city council member and as a mayor within my first few years of being mayor, um, and that being the Westside Neighborhood Association. Yes. But it's uh, not to my knowledge have they met in a, a while, you know, or maybe they're they're kind of changing their the way they do things. They they used to meet quite regularly in the well Arts West. Where I was going with this is that um, there's been since FINA is still very active, and uh, they communicate through some social media form. Um, there's there's discussion about parking on residential streets, and um, should should parking be allowed on both sides of the street, and that sort of thing. And there's particular neighborhoods where it's a problem, because maybe the street's a bit narrower than customary. Um, just stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, you know. I assume these neighborhood associations speak to you and other members of the administration to raise these concerns, right? Uh, they do. They reach out to me. I think equally they reach out to their lawmakers. They reach out to their their ward city council member or they reach out to the at-large city council members. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Well... Okay, let's move on. Well, let's stick with that just for a second. Sure. Uh, because it's probably worth throwing out there that, um, you know, people have noticed that AEP has been chugging through the city with their subcontractor, which is Aspland, um, which I think most of us are used to Aspland uh, barbering our trees. But this is not what they're doing. They are going around and replacing our high-pressure sodium um, street lamps, street yeah, lights. Yeah, that happened to be next on my list. Oh, uh, well, Dave, I'm yeah. not clairvoyant. Okay. But well, but I thought that because this is something where we are hearing from neighborhood associations, we're hearing from neighbors. And that is that, um, you know, we noticed that the lights on our street have been changed out and they're they're extremely bright. Um, they're whiter? They, they, well, they are. They're LED. And they're fewer. They are, well, there's 700 Cobra head lamps that are being swapped out um, in the city. We, it's interesting, going, taking a couple steps backward. So AEP um, had mentioned to us years ago that, you know, we're looking at having a program to where we change out, from an energy efficiency standpoint, change out the sodium vapor lamps with LEDs and, you know, I was all about it because we end up paying for those inefficient high-pressure sodium lamps. Okay. I got to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I was on city council, it was mercury vapor. Okay. Okay. A white light. And um, Howard Stevens, who's no longer alive, but he was also associated with AEP. But he was keenly involved in the chamber and all sorts of things locally. He and I talked about it, and we said, you know, we should go to the sodium vapor, which instead of a white light was uh, sort of an amber or orange light. And we would increase the number of them 
and really get our neighborhoods lit up in, in what some would say is a safer manner. Um, and that's, I, so I did all that with him, and council approved it, and it was a big project, and I was very proud of it. Now, um, of course, new technologies come along. And uh, in those days, we hadn't even, at least I had never heard of LEDs. And, um, and we, we know they're more energy efficient and all that sort of thing. And, of course, they're, uh, the light they put out is entirely different. Um, but it seems to me we have fewer lamps now. And it's just like at intersections and stuff in the in non-traffic light areas, like neighborhoods. And um, they do a nice job, but then there's this gap of nothing. Um, so it, 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 you know, but they're there's they're not done with the project. Oh no. No, I driving in this morning. I noticed that they were working on Pomeroy Road, mm -hmm. going up Pomeroy Hill. Um, so no, no, they. But you know, it's interesting. They're going to have this whole project done. Uh, they told us that it would take them about three weeks, three to four weeks, to replace all seven hundred plus um, lamp heads, and so they're chugging through the city at a pretty quick clip to get this done. So they're not eliminating any that already exist. They are not. They are not. Do they anticipate adding some? Uh, they do not okay. at this point in time. No, this is just replacing what exists. Now, a year or two ago, I think city people put in some in-between block things. We did. And um, they're solar-based, as I recall. Yes. And um, then they've been upgraded recently the lenses so that they weren't so they used to spread out the light too much so they'd light up fronts of houses and things and now i think they've changed the lenses so it's more the street pattern yeah that was we were fortunate that we got a northeast ohio public energy council grant to install those and you know i don't know that you were there or not but this is fina uh, fina meeting related Oh, no, I did not know that. Where I, well, what it was, was um, I attended a FINA meeting back in 2016 or 17. Okay. And there was an individual who was expressing to me that the, the, the way the lights are in the FINA neighborhoods, basically we're talking, you know, Strathmore, Utah on one end, Townsend on the other end and going, you know, all the way, dull, sure, you know, sure. yeah, you know, the streets that I'm talking about. Well, it's my neighborhood. I know it's your neighborhood. <laughs> I completely understand. And that. I'm not, but I'm not focusing on that because it's my neighborhood. No, well, it's just good to explain. Um, so there was an individual there at the meeting who said, you know, is there anything that can be done to increase the lighting mid-block on... Avon, on Townsend, on Utah, Strathmore, so on and so forth. And it was, it, the answer at the time was not really because of the way the power grid runs. Mm -hmm. That AEP is, has its transmission lines that run on Jacobs, Dalton, uh, Pleasant right. Hill, right. Or, uh, Pleasant, not Pleasant Hill, Pleasant View. Uh, so it runs, it runs in an east-west 
direction. It doesn't run north-south, um, gotcha. but the blocks are long north-south. So anyway, so uh, roll forward to 2019. NOPEC had this grant um, that we applied for, and for me, it was kind of a no-brainer. Let's look at commercial street lamps that are solar so that we don't have to worry about trying to trench power lines up and down Avon right, and sure. and uh, Euclid and whatnot. And so we ended up um, starting at Townsend working west. So um, uh, uh, in that first tranche, we put in six freestanding solar lights, mid-block, um, going all the way up to Dalton. And uh, then the next year, we got a second allocation. We put in, I believe, uh, another street or two. And we currently have, I believe it's three more lamps that we were wanting to put in. And it was either going to go on Euclid or it was going to go on um, possibly Charles or Graham. But we're going to continue to do that on that because of the way that the electricity is dispersed uh, or transmitted along that neighborhood so yeah sure yeah so there's things like that and they've been working in their <coughs> excuse me they've been working in there a lot uh, just in the last few weeks putting in the new led lamps well the wiring you know all that sort of thing yeah. well you know the other thing that's going into your neighborhood likely dave is we've got um, broadband providers that are starting to mm -hmm. finally bring the last mile to athens and getting into our neighborhoods getting fiber I just got an email or a text uh, from a former city council member, Arian Smedley, and she was all excited, um, and I don't blame her. You know, she said, uh, basically, a fun little tidbit, we're the first residents in Athens to tap into the fiber, into fiber internet. Uh, it was installed today, and she indicated, she said it's cheaper, faster um, than somebody uh, you know, and hopefully more reliable. So we're going to see more and more of that going on in the city as well, Dave. That's terrific. It is terrific. It is okay, terrific. Okay, um, let's jump ahead. Um, there's so many topics I've, I've jotted down here. Um, Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> Halloween in Athens is always kind of a special thing. It is everywhere, for that matter, but we have an additional element to it, and that is a big celebration. Um, so, trick-or-treating is going to be on Halloween Day itself, right? Correct, and we've done that for several years now, um, minus the pandemic, obviously, yeah. uh, the 2020, but we it, it is on the 31st of October, as and, it should be, from 5.30 to 7.30. Okay. Now, I, I keep hearing, first of it was 5 to 6, then it was 5 to 7. Now it's 5.30 to 7. It is officially 5.30 to 7.30, which gives moms and dads and guardians yeah. time to get their kids dressed up and out the door, and it gives them ample time to... In my neighborhood, I have about 400. make our dentist industry here in the city of Athens very, very lucrative. The dentist industry. <laughs> okay. Now... Uh, but before that, we have Halloween weekend. Yes. And uh, Athens, of course, uh, has um, uh, for many years what was an unauthorized event that just spontaneously occurred. <coughs> I would go up to the corner of uh, the First Presbyterian Church and stand on the steps and watch everybody and pat myself and 
it was just remarkable. I I liked it. I really did. And I was one of those few people that on city council, they finally said, maybe we better take a step to organize it. And I, um, I can't remember if I chaired or co-chaired or what my role was, but I was on the first committee to try to bring some order and control over it and, uh, and yet still have it be this spontaneous fun event. Okay, where is Halloween today? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm sitting here listening to you and talking about reminiscing over how fascinating it was, and then you became part of a board that was wanting to control it. Um, but <laughs> Well, I mean, not control it, but just um, interface it with the city ops. Okay. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know so, how to say it. It, it, it. We meant good. Yeah, well, so, and I'm with you, Dave. I, I don't recall when you were on city council, um, but I moved here in 98. And uh, I remember as a brand spanking new professor and hearing all these stories about the Halloween block party that I, too, ventured up there. And, and uh, massive, massive crowds, uh, mm-hmm. difficult in watching our mounted patrol and other mounted patrols that came in and police officers difficult to control because it was just, it was what it was. Um, there was a lot of interesting activity that took place, uh, at least which I observed. And then, and you're right, you know, the city then kind of walked down the path of, of making it safer um, and manageable. Right. Um, and so we've continued on that path of late. When I uh, took office as mayor in 2016, it was around the same time that we were starting to see some really terrible things happening on the international and national stage when it came to large gatherings and people using cars as weapons to mm. harm people. Um, I remember the event that took place in Nice. I remember the, pl- the event that took place in London. Uh, elsewhere, you know, and it was at that point in time where I said, you know, we need to to really figure out a way to make this even safer. And, and so we started coordinating um, even more with Ohio University because at the time OU had concrete jersey barriers that they used for football games and and. Uh, and we decided to purchase our own barriers and it was, we had to do a better job of, you know, protecting the boundary the, mm-hmm. of what is the Halloween block party of court street and, and the arterials coming in. So we did that. Um, we certainly had, you know, um, safety services that people didn't even know were there that were keeping an eye on things too, or in case someone would want to do something heinous. Um, and then uh, probably 2018, we, or 19, we also started recognizing that the crowd sizes were really shrinking. You know, for, the, for a couple of years, I was, worked the stage security with, at one of the stages on Court Street. This is back in, you know, pre-me being in politics at all. And, uh, you know, the crowds were, were, they were crazy. It was uh, pretty intense. We had several stages. We had three stages at one point in time. Um, 
but then, like I said, 2018, 19, we started noticing that the crowd sizes were significantly shrinking. Um, and so we worked with the organizer, Jonathan Holmberg, who was still organizing, you know, Grandfather Halloween. And uh, Brandon Thompson was helping to organize that uh, do, do they really need to have three stages? So it started shrinking because of the size of the crowds. And then, you know, in 2019, I believe we only had one stage at that point in time. And uh, because the crowds were, and nobody's had a firm number on this, Dave. I remember reading the A News way back in the day, you know, 20,000 people showed up. Okay, well, who's doing the head count? Um, 30,000 people. No one really knows what the true number of attendees were, you know, from way back when. I, I'm guesstimating that in 2019, that the crowd size was maybe 5,000 people. So it was shrinking. Um, and then we got hit with the pandemic. And of then course. we, you know, so 2020 didn't have anything. 2021, it was really small that we did start to open things up again a little bit. And so there was something, there was one stage. This year, there's going to be one stage. It's going to be across from where the Follett's bookstore used to be and the College Gate. Okay. Um, we will close down the street for the day. And the other thing with closing down the street for the day is we're closing it down for just an evening event. I, I believe it was, Dave, probably back in 2017 or 16, the Honey for the Heart Parade started. You know, and that was around 6 p.m. before things really kind of uh, intensified on Court Street with the block party. The parade was wonderful. So that's been going on for several years. Again, 2020 didn't occur. 2021, we had one. Um, 20, we're going to have one this year. That parade will be um, approximately from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. But then Catherine Ann Jordan, who's our director for Arts, Parks, and Rec, said, working with Emily Beveridge at, uh, the, at Arts West, let's figure out other fun family things to be doing on Court Street and since we have it closed down anyway. So there's going to be like a costume contest. There's going to be some other events. There's going to be, they're going to use the stage during the daytime because the stage will be set up. Um, um, the Uptown Business Association um, and the city of Athens thought it would be a good idea to have the Ayuba, the Uptown Business Association, trick-or-treating for the businesses that day as well. So that'll be from 2.30 to 4.30, um, where the businesses that want to participate will be handing out candy, again, keeping it on the front end family-friendly. So mm -hmm. from, from basically 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. is going to be more family, community-friendly events that are on Court Street. And then from 6 p. to 10 p.m. will be the stage performances to where Brandon Thompson has um, been the organizer for what's happening on the stage in the evening. Um, and then at 10 p.m., uh, the stage performances will end. And uh, we're, you know... Basically, what I've been telling everyone is uh, for those who are attending between 6 and 10 p.m., you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here on the street because we're going to slowly start reopening the street again to uh, vehicular traffic. Uh, but, you know, 
go into the the bars. The bars are are great controlled environments um, because they manage themselves. So that's kind of where things are at with the Halloween block party this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have kind of, like I said, we saw some of this in 2019 pre-pandemic. Um, so this isn't anything really new to people. It's just rethinking things. Let's, um, let me go a different direction. Um, how long now have you been mayor? 2016. This is my seventh year. Now, when you sought the office, what, what, what ideas were in your mind when you decided to run? <laughs> what kinds of ideas? Well, number one, um, not an idea, but something I certainly had to struggle with a little bit, and that was that as a tenured associate professor at the university, um, it's a full-time mayor position. It's a strong mayor form of government here in Athens. And so can't have two full-time jobs. So I knew that I was going to have to, you know, give up one or the other, either not become mayor or become mayor and resign my tenure and my faculty appointment at Ohio University to become mayor and live my life four years at a time. And that's the path I chose. Um, but I also, you know, having lived in 14 major and minor cities in my lifetime, um, having served as a, an enlisted member and as an officer in the U.S. Air Force and the Air National Guard, having, you know, under, you know being a professor at OU and understand the university workings, kind of how things operate, but also being a city council member for two terms, four years at large, and having some understanding or, you know, no one has a full understanding, but a decent understanding of how things worked in the city. And, and uh, to include um, in my second term as a city council member, chairing finance and personnel, so understanding the financial side of things. Um, you know, it, it, it was the right thing to do. And, and so, and given all those life experiences, you know, I saw that there was still a lot of untapped opportunity that could happen in the city of Athens. I felt like our city parks were being underutilized. I felt like there were city recreation assets that needed to be included. I recognized that our city swimming pool, which was at the time 42 years old, was, you know, we were patching that thing together uh, on an annual basis um, and you know, trying to find replacement parts for the, the, the pumps and whatnot that it was uh, time to rethink what our city aquatics would look like and what they should look like. So certainly involved in that. Um, the Richland Avenue roundabout to me, <laughs> which we talked about on the front end of your show, while it was certainly a challenge to, for a lot of our citizens, not just in Athens, but Athens County and beyond to understand how this thing works, um, you know, recognizing what, the, the the positive aspects of a roundabout, what they bring. And so looking at, you know, the possibility and now reality of having one at at on Stimson Avenue as you're crossing the bridge, um, you know, knowing that we needed to do an overhaul of Stimson Avenue as a gateway. I was a fr I still am a firm believer in you get one first impression and it's your gateways into the city that affords you that opportunity to where you can impress people. 
Um, I think that the Stimson Avenue corridor has been a big success. I think Richland Avenue corridor has been a big success. East State Street is has been successful for a long time. It's our major retail corridor now in the city and has been for years with a lot of our, our big box businesses being out there. Um, you know, that that is certainly a, a, a corridor coming in. The next corridor that we're going to work on is the one right out your window, Dave, is Columbus Road. Um, we're going to do a significant overhaul, overhaul. And then the, you know, I would have to say the, the in, initial success that I'm proud of for the city of Athens was West Union, where the fire occurred back in 2014. And kind of taking that as an opportunity to rethink a streetscape in the uptown area. And I think that what we ended up creating um, and producing was a real positive for the uptown. And so we, in 2024, we're going to be doing similar streetscape changes on Washington Street and on State Street. So that's kind of looking forward in time. I said Columbus Road is going to see a major improvement. The other big improvement that I would really like to see is a fourth or fifth roundabout, I've lost count, um, and that roundabout being at the intersection of 682 and 56, you know, to where we can Designalize that area and put a roundabout in. We're also applying for so that's out by the ODT building. It is okay, and and White's Mill. Yeah. Um, so along with that, we just applied for a new uh, Department of Transportation grant to where, and if successful, it will get us the finances that we need to build a sidewalk that would basically go from that roundabout all the way out to Morrison Gordon Elementary, which would be wonderful given that we're going to have 192 new one, two, and three-bedroom apartments that WOTA is building on the parcel of land that we yeah. have more recently annexed into the city. Uh, and making Morrison Gordon for the first time since it moved off of Richland Avenue when it was just Morrison Elementary in Mechanicsburg, um, a neighborhood, well, not neighborhood, but a walkable school, mm-hmm. which would be wonderful, you know, to have something that runs all the way from that part of the mm-hmm. city. Um, so, um, you know, you've done a good job of answering my question, but I'm, I'm going to repose it again. <laughs> what ideas were in your mind when you decided to run for mayor? And then my next question was, what ideas remain concerning that you want to continue to work on? You know, I want to continue to work on our high-speed broadband expansion in the city. I know I'm answering this in reverse, Dave, but bear with me. You know, I think we have a lot of work to do there. I think we have a lot of work ahead of us to in the racial equity world uh, within our community. You know, I want to uh, continue the strong relationship that I do have with the university um, in, you know, what the university's goals are moving forward. But, uh, you know, this will I'm on the search committee for the 23rd, what will be the 23rd president of the university, um, which I was not involved in the hiring. I wasn't on the search committee for President Dwayne Nellis. 
but you know, this will be the fourth president that I will have worked with um, if the, the search is successful this year. And given that, you know, you kind of feel like when you were in high school, like, you know, freshmen versus seniors, <laughs> I've got the institutional knowledge, the relationships, the understanding of the working. So I think that, that is going to be valuable to the incoming president, whomever that might be. Um, when I, you know, when I took office, Dave, so now kind of answering the first part of your question, um, I, again, I saw so much opportunity that was not being taken advantage of. The Armory is a great example. You know, you and I talked about the Armory on this show many times. But at the time, um, I was a city council member and looking at the Armory thinking, here's this 16,000 square foot of space in an amazing building. The city owns it. We do nothing with it other than use it for cold storage, um, which is really doing a disservice to our community that used to experience dances, you know, boxing matches, uh, rummage sales, uh, you know, all kinds of things that used to happen in the armory back in the day. And so, again, seeing that opportunity, um, seeing the opportunity for more arts and culture uh, in the city, you know, to have the art outside the box wraps going up on our traffic control boxes, you know, it's taking an otherwise banal feature that nobody notices and turning it into something that people notice for a change. One of my favorites, you know, I like them all, but one of my favorites is the one that's right there by Applebee's, um, which has these, I don't know if they're alicorns or norwals or whatever they are, but, and there's a little, and then there's a, a little sign associated with in this art that's, you know, it says Athens on it. And it's really quite an attractive piece of art. You haven't noticed it, Dave? No, no, I have. I mean, I'm, I'm take a look here. It's in, in your neighborhood. Hour. Yeah, it's right there in your neighborhood. You know, you need to leave your zip code, Dave, every once in a while, and take a look around. But well, that's still so. Does that answer your question at all? You know, it's yeah. I mean, okay. This let's focus on this racial equity thing. Um, don't you also hold a post, um, of a national level? I mean. I do. I and, do. And that's um, something called real, right? Yeah, it's the N National League of Cities um, Race, Equity, and Leadership Advisory Council, and I'm the co-vice chair of that organization. Okay, so in your own head, because we may have listeners that agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. Do you, do you feel our country is doing a good job with racial equity? No, I don't. What is, what would you like to see done differently? You know, th this is hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around or understand. But, you know, there are systems that have been around for centuries um, that are designed out of oppression, Um and I would strongly recommend individuals reading a very interesting book called The 1619 Project um, that speaks to a lot of these, these inequities that continue to exist. You know, we saw it during the pandemic. Uh, when you looked at individuals that were being admitted to the hospitals, so you look at individuals who had access to the vaccines for the coronavirus, um, you know, uh, 
our black communities were again um, disadvantaged at access to those, but we're seeing disproportionate numbers of individuals having to be hospitalized uh, because of COVID. You know, I mean, this well, is. Well, you, you mean uh, whites were being vaccinated when blacks were not? What I'm saying is the access and the distribution of vaccines was different in different locations. Um, you know, it, it, yes. Um, the, it, and it was, and it's access. So it's, uh, I mean, we could get into a whole show, Dave, about a lot of these things, and I'm sure we'd see a whole lot of callers, or I would hope a lot of callers would call in. But, but um, well, okay. But besides vaccines, um, what are some other areas that are concerning to you, racial equity? Uh, you know, I think, uh, among other things... Um, I mean, housing, em right? Housing, employment. Education. Uh, well, you seem to have been <laughs> reading up as well, Dave. Yeah, a, a, a I mean, lot of these... The, you, one might say the legal system everything you know look at uh, look at our our uh, incarceration you know look at look at prisons look at you know every facet and if you you have to go back in time you have to go back and understand and learn and educate yourself as to how were these things set up um and and why were they set up as they were set up? And so often they were set up to oppress certain groups of people, um, by and large our black population, and you know, redlining. You but, know, redlining was where they would carve out areas that, because they were largely black areas within the cities, we are going to make it very difficult for anyone to get a loan to purchase a home. We're going to make it very difficult to get insurance. We're going to make it very difficult to where, you know, you're further, you know, um, discriminating. And and uh, I, I didn't realize how short a time we are. I want to button this up a little bit. Sure. Athens is how large its city? Uh, we are 24,000. No, 23,849 people. I'm going to call it 24,000. <laughs> Do you think of a city of 24,000, we have a greater problem with racial racial equity than another city at the same size as us somewhere else or larger or smaller? What You know what I mean. I think we're pretty better, but... We still aren't perfect. Oh, we're not perfect at all. I, I do agree with your comment. Um, I do agree that that if we were to nationally disperse racial equity report cards, mm -hmm. that the city of Athens, you know, we do better than a lot of other cities. Um, we, but we, there's, there's so much room to improve ourselves, Dave. Of course. So we, the city of Athens, just to share with you, we, um, and I know we're running out of time, but I'll be quick. You know, we applied to be one of the charter, um, members of the National League of Cities Racial Equity Institute. This is brand new. Uh, they've just started this and Lacey Rogers, who is our new 
Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility Coordinator for the City of Athens. We just hired her three or four weeks ago. Had there been someone in that post before? We've never had one before. So this is a new job. I created this um, with the blessing of City Council. Okay. So Lacey took this on uh, in applying for us being a charter member of the Institute. We got notification a week and a half ago saying, congratulations, you are one of 10 cities to be participating in this process, along with, and I'll read them, Akron, Ohio, uh, Benicita, California, Brentwood, Maryland, Columbus, Ohio, Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, Helena, Montana, St. Louis, Missouri, San Francisco, California, and Waco, Texas. So we are, What a group. Right? Um, and I need to fact check this, but I think we are one of the smallest, if not the smallest, community I think, uh, but uh, it's going to be a year-long process to where council member Micah McCary, um, Lacey Rogers, myself go through this institute training over the course of the year to again continue on our mission when it comes to uh, enhancing racial equity here in the city of Athens, as well as recognizing what systemic racism, how extensive systemic racism is. Racism is. Steve, we have thirty seconds left. And I have uh, six other questions I haven't even gotten to yet. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on the air. I'm just going to close it down here. But let's um, let's get together again soon. And well, we do it monthly. Every month, maybe Dave. once in a while, we need to get an extra session. And it's a pleasure, Dave. I love it. I love being on your show. All right, folks. Thank you. We'll see you again tomorrow as we wrap up of the week. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N-S. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Stacey Lynn in Washington. After a very short tenure, Britain's new prime minister is resigning. Liz Truss's departure comes only six weeks after taking office, one day after this. I honestly don't know what the honourable gentleman is talking about because... Chaotic scenes in Britain's parliament. Truss repeatedly shouted down by jeering opposition politicians as her own party lawmakers sat silent, embittered by the six weeks of U-turns and market turmoil that characterized Truss's time in office. The writing was on the wall. Vicki Barker, CBS News, London. While the president heads to Pennsylvania to campaign for fellow Democrats today in North Carolina. Early voting in the midterm election starts today in North Carolina. I like to beat the rush. Charlotte resident Rich Holmes plans to cast his vote today. Just go. It's really no different than voting on election day. Michael Dickerson is elections director in Mecklenburg County. It's safe, it's secure, uh, and it's a great way to take care of your voting. Tar Heel State voters will decide a crucial U.S. Senate race, among other things. Jim Crisula, CBS News, Greensboro, North Carolina. Fewer Americans applied for unemployment last week, but Bankrate.com's Mark Hamrick tells us... Florida, battered by Hurricane Ian, has seen a surge in claims, though they're down in the latest week, declining by about 3,900 to more than 11,000. Other states with elevated claims numbers seeing week-over-week declines include California, Texas, and New York. You're having a mimosa with your brunch and wondering why it's so expensive? While inflation has hit pretty much everything, Hurricane Ian is to blame for crushing Florida's orange groves. Citrus farmer Ben Krause. This is the kind of thing that would put you out of business. You know, half half your crop gone in a the night. There's nothing that you can really do to prepare for something like that. 
Early estimates put citrus losses from Ian as high as $304 million. Air quality in Seattle is among the worst in the world. The cause, heavy smoke from wildfires. The last few days have been very rough in terms of even walking around, taking a simple walk. It's been, it's been tough. Schools are having indoor recess. Sports have either been canceled or moved inside. The Washington Commanders just can't catch a break. The latest oops involved a guy who won a 50-50 raffle during a recent game. It was sponsored by the team's charitable foundation. When he tried to cash the check, which was almost 15 grand, it bounced. The Commanders confirmed in a statement yesterday there was indeed an issue.